Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. This is chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. Uh, it says, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The word of the Lord. We're starting a new series of messages over the next coming weeks called Faithful. And, uh, and this was birthed really um, on Saturday, or no, was it Sunday morning at retreat? Sunday morning at retreat last weekend. We had an absolutely incredible time at winter retreat, and it was just, I mean, God just absolutely moved, and it was incredible. But one of the most powerful moments for me last weekend uh, was during a, the transition out of worship into the Word, and, and we, uh, we were singing the song, Do It Again, which is probably one of my favorite anthems of all time, and just an amazing song. And, and so I got up and really felt compelled uh, to shout out the City Lights High School ministry that's starting up this coming Wednesday, and and so we called up the high school students that are, that are starting this ministry, and I called up Rahim, who was tapped on the shoulder to preach at the first service upcoming this, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And I kind of gave a little bit of a backstory of, of how I came into ministry. I, I didn't, I didn't, Gabriel didn't show up with the trumpet to give me a call into the ministry. It wasn't that kind of a calling. When people say, how did you become a pastor, I don't really know the answer to that. It's kind of a, a, a generational story, sort of, with a great-grandfather and a grandfather and a father. And, and, and they were all ministers, and I somehow thought I was going to be a journalist. And, 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 and that was kind of the way I was going. And then we had a youth pastor that left and uh, and and it literally decimated what was what was our youth group and and we were it was like me Cheyenne and, and Ruthie and, and Amanda and that was, and it was, that was that was like that was us for in terms of young students like no lie that's what that's what it looked like and so uh, so we got to a point and I'm just giving you the straight story got to a point where it was like to make a long story short when there's nobody to fill the gap pastor's son fills the gap and uh, and and God lined up. Uh, winter retreat 2007 or 8, 2007, um, and that, that weekend, so that's already 12 years ago, the Lord radically transformed my life and, and, uh, and called me into the ministry. And, and I remember the following Sunday, uh, that was February of 2007, the following Sunday after that winter retreat, I led worship here uh, when our services were still in the afternoon. And, and, uh, and, and man, that was my first time leading worship, and I really just jumped deep in to, to what it was that God had called me to do. I had never sung on a platform in my life. I had never preached uh, ever. Like, I, I had just, like, it just wasn't my thing. Um, I was a shy kid growing up. I was not, like, super timid, but I was kind of just in my place doing my thing. And the Lord put, like, a fire shut up in my bones on that winter retreat weekend. And it has, my life has never been the same since then, and, and, if, and if there's so many elders in our church who, who I mean, I was, 
I was only six years old when my parents planted this church. I was, I was only 11 when we moved into this building. And, and so, so many of the elders here in our church saw me grow up and Pastor Appreciation Day. And they'd bring our family up and they'd give me a card. And I would stand by on this platform with the squeakiest voice you ever heard in your life and just say thank you and move on. I had no intention of ever stepping into ministry. It was my dad's thing. It was my grandfather's thing. It was my great-grandfather's thing. It was my great-great-grandfather's thing. It was, it was their thing, but it wasn't my thing but then the Lord called me and and so we began to see growth and it was truth seekers at the time that was the name of our high school ministry and we met in the chapel back here and there was graffiti on the wall and wooden pews and things began to grow and develop and change and and man we started getting our fire on in in that in that chapel and man it would get so hot in that chapel we would walk out everybody just red in the face man it was hot 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 as heaven over there and uh and it was just crazy and so we began you know thinking you know what is the Lord doing and and I started like every Wednesday we would worship for like an hour and 15 minutes an hour and a half and I would get up there and scream no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has conceived what God has prepared and, and I was 21 22 years old no idea what I was doing I just knew that God gave me a vision and this vision was for a church that would make an impact and I would be able to carry a baton from my great-grandfather to my grandfather to my father and I would take it on and I would pass it on to a next generation and I and I felt that calling on my life and so I continued to believe and we did winter retreats and we did all these events and we did Wednesday after Wednesday and yes people came and yes people left and that's okay because God was faithful all along and and I that fire that was in my bones never got put out and so things about started growing and I'm like all right I got it gathered all the leaders one day and I'm like we're gonna change the name of this thing we're no longer gonna be truth seekers we're gonna be called the city and then half of the people loved it, half of the people hated it, and I said, we're going to do it anyway. And so we named it the city, and I said, while we're at it, we're leaving the chapel. Half the people loved it, half the people hated it. We went down to the basement. We took the church's fellowship party room, and we turned it into a sanctuary. And that's another story for another day. But we started seeing growth, and young people were coming, and people were getting saved, and people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and people started stepping up to the plate, and the church started to grow. And God gave us more vision, and we started seeing that church was not a church just for the elders. It was a church of young people. It was a church for the young adult. It was a church for the high school student. I refuse to accept the statistic that says that 88% of young people leave the church after high school. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't I accept it. And so we started pushing on. And so some people started coming from Boston to our Wednesday night services, Alex and, and Magno and, and Andy, and they lived in Boston, but they were driving down every single Wednesday coming to our services and so we started and then I started dating and and I started dating this beautiful girl from the city of Boston and so now we had four people from Boston coming down on Wednesday nights and so God began to plant a vision in our spirit and said what would it look like if we had no plan and we had no budget and we had no building but we just believed that God could start a church in the great city of Boston and so we started a vision night at the Holiday Inn in Somerville 
Bill, and we had no plan, no budget. The budget was whatever money I had in my pocket. I bought a TV. I bought a TV stand. I rented out a, a hotel on my credit card, and I said, I'm going to believe that God is going to do this for us. And so we had three vision nights that summer, and it was packed out. People were believing in what God was doing. And then in the September of that same year, God opened up a door at 52 Russell Street in Cambridge for us to have services every single Friday in the great city of Boston. And so now I'm seeing the faithfulness of God, not just through one season, but through 12 years from a kid who didn't believe in himself to a God who called that same kid and now a church in the city of Boston. And I don't stand here saying, this is my platform. No, I am standing on the shoulders of my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my father. And now it's me. And when I have a son, I will pass the baton off to him. It's a sign that God is faithful. God is faithful. So we stood at winter retreat last Sunday morning and brought up those high school students and brought up Raheem and we began to pray. And I said, if God did it for me, God can do it again. If God called a, a, a timid young man to, to minister the word of God, then God can do it again. If God can raise up a small group of high school students that would help lead a church into a next generation of ministry, then if God did it then, he can do it again. And that's what makes this church special, is that this church does not belong to the hands of a few. It really is a widespread thing that's happening across generations. If God did it before, he can do it again. That was such a powerful moment for me because in that moment, looking at those high school students and seeing Rahim, I saw myself 12 years ago with just a small group of high school students and a call. And then fast forward 12 years, and we drive up to Fridays every single night, and we have city night every single month, and we have services now, two services in the morning, English service, Portuguese service, every single Sunday. And man, I just thank God is faithful. So that word faithful stuck in my head all that day on Sunday. Faithful. I'm like, I have to do something with this word, faithful. So I kind of went through the week, and I was kind of processing with God. I'm like, God, what is it that you want me to preach about on Sunday? Like, it's post-retreat, so like, do we just, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And the word faithful just kept coming into my spirit. Faithful, faithful. God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. So we put together a graphic, faithful ambassador series, and we posted it on our social media account Friday afternoon. On the ambassadors page, there was an event page up, and it was, it was up. It was up on our Instagram, some cute, like, hey, this Sunday we're starting a new series of messages called Faithful. And uh, this was Friday before our service in Boston. And then we, we drove up to Boston, and we had, our, we had our service. I mean, it was a full house this past Friday. It was an amazing service. We took about 25 minutes to process all that God did uh, through, through the retreat, and I shared a few thoughts um, we packed up, we went to Anna's Taqueria down the street to eat, we hopped in the van, and we're ready to drive home. Uh, as we have done for the last five years in, this, in, in Boston, I mean, Fridays belong to the city of Boston, that's just what we do, that's what our life looks like. We leave here at 4.30 and we come back at what feels like 4.30 the next day, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's a long night, but it's a worthwhile night. 
And so we hopped in the van, and, and I, man, I love our, our church van. That's another great thing that God did in 2018 was that was like upgrade of everything in our, in our life. There's a defroster that works and windshield wipers that make no sound, and, 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 and we don't have to open the hood and smack it in order for the AC to come on. And it's just, that's legit what we had to do. Yeah, it, like we don't feel the rain coming in through the floor when it rains because there's no rusty hole in the, in the floor, and, and it doesn't smell like, 12 years of youth ministry, you know what I mean? It's just like God's faithful. and So we started our drive back as we normally do. I check the GPS every Friday to see which way is going to be easier to get home. I said 55 minutes. I'm like, okay, no problem. Let's get it. Start driving down Highland Avenue in Somerville. I'm going speed limit. I mean, I'm, I'm chilling. We're talking. We're chatting. It's great, great night. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this is just a two-lane a two road. I'm going southbound, and there's a car coming up northbound, and, uh, and there's a series of side streets next to me, and last minute, this car just decides that he's going to turn left right in front of us to go into a do not enter one-way street coming out, and uh, I slam on the brakes with as much strength as I had, but we were going full force right into that car, and man, if you've ever been in a car crash, the sound of it just resounds in your heart. And, and man, we plowed into that guy as strong as I've ever experienced. His airbag deployed, and, uh, and I had about five people with us in the van, plus all of our equipment, it's 26 degrees outside. <sighs> and I hop out the van, take a look around, all the cops, the guy is okay. Everybody in the van is okay, thank God. But then I'm like, I have to preach on Sunday how God is faithful. And uh, to make a long story short, um, there were still some Rhode Island folks around with cars, and so they came to the scene. Some of our Boston folks came to the scene. Uh, cops were there. I mean, this is just a, a worthy point. It was 100% the other guy's fault. I just need to, that's not Pastor Shane talking, that's just Shane talking. Uh, <laughs> not a spiritual point, it's just a point of, it's really important. Just a point of clarification for my story. And um, we took photos of everything. I mean, we're, we're like, yep, you know. So people came to the scene, and now we have all this equipment. I mean, thousands of dollars worth of equipment in our van, and this van, the van has to be towed towed from the scene. It was undrivable. The van's leaking all over the street. And uh, the guy's car had to be towed. And then we started loading equipment into cars, loading people into cars. Um, and we made the drive back home without the van. And uh, for some of us, we think God's faithfulness would mean that we don't get into the accident. S for, for some people, there's this mis- interpreted idea that for God to be faithful, there needs to be an absence of accidents. But that's not the lesson that God taught me that night. Faithfulness is not the absence of accidents. Faithfulness is the presence of God. So I just wrote down some things that proved to me that God was faithful in that accident. Number one, there was no ice, no snow, and no rain anywhere. 
That accident could have been 10 times worse if it was as icy as it had been on Monday. Number two, I was going speed limit. Yes, give me a hand. <laughs> I was going speed limit on my side of the road with no distractions and a seatbelt. Number three, I had time to slow down enough that I did not hit him with as much speed as I would have, maybe deploying the airbags in our van, which once the airbags are deployed, it's 10 times worse sometimes. Number four, neither the other driver nor anybody in our van had injuries that needed medical attention. Number five, Alini always goes with us in the van to City Boston, always. But this past Friday, she took her car because she was bringing her mom to Boston, which gave us just enough seats, added seats, to bring the rest of the people home in the car. Aflac had his car. Princess had her car. Giving us enough space to load up all of our equipment and all of our people and be able to come back to Rhode Island without any problems. You see, God's faithfulness is not the absence of accidents. God's faithfulness is the presence of God. Can you say amen to that? God's faithfulness is not proven through the absence of issues. Rather, God's faithfulness is proven through his presence in the middle of the problems that we face in this life. And, and I've shared with you now, just in a few moments, two major stories of, that prove that God is faithful and and I feel deep in my spirit a, a conviction to share with you over the next several weeks about how God, I, I want us to take our eyes off of what we think we need God to do right now. And I want us to fix our eyes back on who God has always been, who he is, and who he always will be. You see, God is not a genie in a bottle that we rub it and ask for three wishes. I believe that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God is the one who guards my coming in and my going out. God is the one who protects me. And even though a thousand may fall on this side and 10,000 over here. I will not be harmed for he is with me. And even though I do walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. His rod and his staff will comfort me and he's going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's going to anoint my head with oil. My cup is going to overflow. And at the end of all of that drama, I will still say, surely goodness and mercy will Follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because God is faithful. Faithfulness is not the absence of problems. Faithfulness is the presence of God. Faithfulness is not God resolving all of our issues. Faithfulness is God's grace being made manifest in the middle of our issues. You see, faithfulness is not God promising us this prosperity where if you give $100 this morning, you're going to get a $1,000 check tomorrow. You see, there are a lot of believers that, do, are, that are broke right now, but God will never let you uh, be abandoned because he is with you. You see, it's not the absence of problems. It is the presence of God. And I don't buy into a gospel that promises what God never promised. Let me wipe my brow. You see, faithfulness is not me getting everything I want. Faithfulness is God giving me everything I need. 
I haven't preached for a couple weekends, so I'm, I wish I had an organ on me, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Faithfulness is not us making demands of God, and then he fulfills them, and then we come up and give a praise report of everything that's good in our life, because you see what happens there is idolatry. Idolatry of the thing that God has blessed us with. You see, you see, when it's truly from God, the praise always goes back to him. There's a whole lot of people committing idolatry, bragging on supposed blessings. Blessings give God glory. Blessings point people closer to him. Blessings never magnify the person that was blessed. That's how you know if it's of God. Am I preaching this morning or am I preaching? I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even yelling at y'all. I'm just kind of giving it straight and, and we're just chilling through this because God is faithful. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of, of issues. It's not the absence of, 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 of me kind of, uh, well, everything is just kind of great and things are, you know what, life happens. Diagnosis is, diagnoses, if that's the proper English, happens. Car accidents happen. Unemployment happens. Disabilities happen. And whenever we start saying, well, if you're going through issues, it must mean you're living in sin. That's what the Pharisees and, and people thought about the blind man. Well, whose fault is it that this guy is born blind? Whose fault is it? Let's blame somebody because we can't, we can't go through something and not blame somebody. And Jesus said, it's nobody's fault. You see, this guy is blind so that my glory can be revealed through him. You see, the problems that you're going through is not necessarily because you're living in sin, although I do believe in the consequences of, of living in sin. That's a different topic for a different day. But you see, God doesn't operate on the same system that we operate on, which means that we need to seek vengeance. And, and God's not a vengeful God. God's not a vengeful God. And so what, what ends up happening is that we think that, oh, you're going through this, this, and that because you're doing this, this, and this wrong. I have seen faithful people still suffer humanly. They, they, man, you cannot equate problems with sin, with, with us somehow doing something wrong. It rains on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. What that means is, in the spiritual world, there's no umbrellas. Life happens to everybody. I believe in the favor of God, the protection of God, the this and that of God. But you know what? I also believe that life happens. And the problem, the difference is not that life is not going to happen to the believer. I don't believe that God puts us in a bubble when we get saved. What does change is our perspective on life. Our perspective on the problem. And so, for example, let's take a few different examples. When, uh, when a believer is facing unemployment and when a non-believer is facing unemployment, those are two very different situations. You see, because the one who does not have faith in a faithful God is going to kind of re re rely on their own strength to get other employment. But you see, for the believer, when there's unemployment, even though they're going through the same situation, it's different because this person is now believing in Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And so it's different. Are you with me? Say yes. 
You see, you see it's different when, when somebody without hope goes through a diagnosis and somebody with hope goes through a diagnosis because those without hope are kind of just, we need a cure, we need a cure. And, and if there's passing away, then, then that's kind of just it. But, but for the believer, we do not mourn like those without hope because we know that we're not living for this life, we're living for the next one. And so even if God doesn't heal here, he is able to heal in the life to come. And so you see, it's different. Car accidents are different because for, for the non-believer, for the one who has no hope, it's just kind of like, man, it's terrible that this happened. I'm, 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 let's thank our lucky stars that we're okay. For the believer, even if I was in a car accident, I still see a host of angels around me. I still see the circumstances that God lined up so that I would not be harmed. And even if God did slay me, he's still worthy of my praise. You see, it's different. You see, circumstances are different when you serve a faithful God. You're not going to see it for what it is. You're going to see it for what God has purposed it to be. You see, someone who has a broken heart and has no hope thinks that they need to have something or someone else to come mend their broken heart. But the one who has hope knows that once they get into the presence of God, there's a, what scripture calls the balsam of Gilead. That's the healing power, the healing anointing of God that comes in to heal any wound. You see, it's different. You see, it's different. When we know that our God is faithful, everything changes. I want you to tell your neighbor, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything changes. You see, God is faithful. My Bible even goes so far as to say that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That means even if you don't believe in what he's doing, he's still doing it. That means even if I can't see what God is doing, I can trust that God is still doing it. When we are faithless, when, when I am stripped of my faith, God is never going to change. People change. God never changes. People change their mind all the time based upon what weather it is, how they feel, what side of the bed they woke up on, what they ate last night, what they're eating today, if they haven't eaten yet, whether they drank coffee or not. Anybody feel that way ever? When you don't have coffee, you're feeling like a different person? Yeah, me too. During the Daniel fast, it was a struggle. But you know what? I'd, God doesn't change like I change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful. And, and I just want to share with you a couple last thoughts before we pray together. Is that if we consider the life of Joseph, Joseph had every reason to think that God wasn't faithful. Let me just kind of slow it down, wind it back. Joseph was the favored, favorite son of his father. I mean, if you have siblings, uh, it's only me and my sister, one boy, one girl, so we kind of like, yeah, there's no favorites, we're kind of, we're kind of equals. But, but, no, we are equals. Uh, and, but for him, there was like 12, and so he was like, and he was like the son of the favorite wife. So it was like double, right? So favorite that he got like a special coat, I mean, coat of a lot of colors. I mean, this was like the flyest coat that they had ever seen in all the land. And, and so all the other, and plus Joseph was a dreamer, so he was having dreams left and right. And he dreamed that all the brothers were sheaves of wheat. They were bundles of wheat. And that Joseph's wheat was standing in the middle, and all the brothers' wheat was bowing to Joseph's wheat. And so Joseph told the dream to his brothers, hey, y'all are wheat, and y'all's wheat bowing to my wheat. And, uh, yeah, careful who you tell your dreams to. It's better just to see it come to pass because then it's just easier that way. And then um, so, so the wheat was bowing, and, 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 and the brothers were like, we got to handle this kid. Like, who does this kid think he is? 
Got the coat, we turned to blind eye. Having dreams, first couple dreams, we turned to blind eye. Now he's saying that our wheat's going to bow to his wheat. This is crazy. And so they, they're like, we got to handle it. And so they took the, took the coat of many colors from him, dipped it in blood, threw him in a pit, gave the coat to, to their elderly father, and says, your favorite son's dead. That's not what happened, really. They sold Joseph into slavery. Like, there was a group of Ishmaelites coming, and they were like, that's who we're giving him to. Imagine. Imagine if that were your sibling. Shayla, if you ever. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I wouldn't do that to her, but she did that to me. And so they sold him into slavery. He gets bought by this guy named Potiphar. He becomes like this really, like, powerful guy in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's an important guy in Egypt, now far away from his father. Father thinks that Joseph is dead. I mean, this is like a really sad story. And so, so he's serving in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife is like, super attracted to Joseph. I mean, even the Bible is like, Joseph was hot. That's basically what the Bible says. Like, the Bible, I, I'm sure the message version puts it that way. It's like, Joseph was hot. But King James, King James says like he was shapely and easy on the eyes or something like that. Like, basically he was cut, built, tall, dark, handsome, right? Um, and, and, and so Potiphar's wife is like, I like Joseph. So, Potiphar was out doing his life, and Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph, and she's shameless. She's not even like, hey, let's grab a coffee. She says, sleep with me. <laughs> Nothing like, hey, how are you? How's the weather up in crazy, crazy dryness up here in Egypt, right? Like, <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Sleep with me. He's like, no. Of course not. She's like, no, sleep with me. And so she, she goes crazy and starts Ripping off his coat. I mean, this guy has a thing with coats. <laughs> Starts ripping off his coat. He goes running. She screams and says, he came on to me. All the servants come. She's now crying with the coat in her arms. Look, he even left his coat. He was coming on to me. And so Joseph, faithful, favored, favorite son, colored jacket, sold into slavery, Joseph, faithful Joseph, is now sitting in a prison cell for a sin he did not commit. Pharaoh, leader of Egypt, has a dream. Now there's like healthy goats and, and sick goats, and he goes to all of his dream interpreters, because Pharaoh had like a board, a board of dreamers. And he goes to the board, and he says, board, what's the meaning of these goats? And they're like, we have no idea, no, no, no clue. So then, cupbearer and somebody else comes, baker, they come and like, oh, we know, we know a guy who can, who can interpret dreams. Tap Joseph, Joseph goes into, and I'm making a very long story, extremely short. Um, if you're doing the Bible reading plan, you've already made it through here. And, uh, and so, and then if you're not, that's why you're confused. Um... <laughs> Um, and so, so, uh, so, so then they're like, we know a guy. And so Pharaoh tells his dream to, to Joseph. I want to pause here and say, in the kingdom, you don't need to self-promote. Because your gifting will make a way for you. He was sitting in a jail cell minding his own business. But his gifting made a way for him. And so Pharaoh is like, Joseph, there's some goats and these sick goats and these healthy goats. 
Uh, the train literally never beeps going by here. Right when I'm talking about goats, they need to, healthy goats, sick goats. And, and Joseph is like, okay, I don't have the interpretation, but God does. And he's like, okay, get ready. There's going to be seven years where there's a lot of food in Egypt. We're going to have so much food we don't know what to do with it. Then we're going to have seven years where there is no food. So Pharaoh's like, looks like you have the vision for it. <laughs> build, some, build, some, build some stuff. You're in charge now. In like a verse, Joseph goes from being prisoner to prime minister. It's like you're here sitting in a jail cell, and now you're second in Pharaoh gives Joseph his ring. He's like, you're so awesome, whatever you say goes. It's as if I said it. Powerful moment. Now Joseph's in charge of collecting all the food for seven years. So he builds all these things. They're collecting the food like there's no tomorrow. Seven years of famine start coming to the land. Guess who needs food? Joseph's brothers who had sold him into slavery 25, 30 years ago. They show up on the scene. Jo Joseph's got, like, Egyptian makeup on. Your boy's all tan, looking, looking all cut, has all the gold. I'm just picturing Prince of Egypt, like, he's just looking mad, cut, like, music in the background, like, ooh. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> mad, like, yeah, he speaks another language. Like, brothers show up on the scene. They're like, oh, great. Whoever you are, we need food. Justice would say, go hungry. Joseph plays around with his brothers a little bit. The brothers pay for food. Joseph puts the money back in the bag, gets somebody to go open the bags. Now it looks like the brothers stole money. They get like his favorite cup and they put the cup in the, the, the bag of the second favorite son, Benjamin. And they're like, whoever has the stolen cup will surely die. And they open up Benjamin's bag and there's the cup. And then the oldest brother says, oh, no, we already killed Joseph. Now we're going to kill Benjamin, and we have to go tell dad that his second favorite son is gone. Kill me instead, he says. This story is wild. <laughs> Joseph's talking to his brothers through an interpreter, playing it off. Like, he's over here talking in Egyptian. Meanwhile, he's hearing all the Hebrew that this guy, these guys are talking. And then comes the big reveal, the big reveal, where he's like, let me wipe off my, my, my makeup. <laughs> the wing comes off. <laughs> I just picture, like, my wife's wake up, makeup wipes. She, whenever she says, I need makeup wipes, I'm like, girl, we buy this every day. Like, what, what is, how, how often do these things go? I just picture, like, Neutrogena makeup wipe. It is I. <laughs> and then he says, it's me. Fast forward the story a couple chapters. It gets to the end of the book of Genesis. And the brothers are basically falling at Joseph's feet saying, we should be your slaves. And you know what? If I were Joseph, I would have been like, you're right. <laughs> you can start here. You can do this. You can do that. I probably wouldn't lift a finger for the rest of my life. Like, you serve me grapes. You wave the palm branch. <laughs> I will sit right here. 
But Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Sometimes stories take 25, 30 years to come back around for you to see how faithful God was all along. When I got into that accident on Friday night, I called my, we call it Aflac, that's just like our ever-present help in time of trouble. <laughs> Others came, Shorty, Kev, Princess. We were there on the scene. And then we're on our drive back, and I was kind of rattled by the whole thing a little bit. You know the moment where it's like, did this really happen? Is this just a nightmare? Neutrogeno wipe, like, is this reality? And... It was just kind of settling in. Alini was driving us home. I'm like, I'm not getting behind any wheel tonight. I'm just going just gonna to drive. And I was quiet in the drive back home. And then I texted Alex because Alex is my Boston ever-present help in time of trouble. And I said, hey, buddy. Uh, he's like, I'm like, are you awake? He said, yep, I'm awake. What's up? They're, they're away on a trip for the weekend. And I said, just letting you know, before the news gets to you through somebody else, we got into a small accident. Everybody's okay. And then I was like, but it was 100% the guy's fault, and he was crazy. And I was giving him the Shane version, not the Pastor Shane version. And then he texted me back and said this. He said, two years down, the, this is his, his text back to me. He says, two years down the road on Sunday morning, quote, my story of grace started on a Friday night when I drunkenly hit Pastor Shane's van. I don't know if that guy hit our van so that somehow, I don't know what the story's going to be. But imagine, though, if the guy who took a super illegal left turn in front of me ends up coming around, and you're like, no, nah, that'll never happen. You don't know that. Because God is that faithful. You know, I told him, like, you know what, you're right. Everything that happens, God knew, God knew this past Friday we were going to get into that accident. God knew. I wish he had told me, but he knew. <laughs> he knew. And I don't know why he allowed it, but it's not my job to know why. It's just my job to be faithful to the God that's been faithful to me. So you see, my, my, my word to you this morning, God's word for you this morning, is that his faithfulness is not the absence of your problem. His faithfulness is his presence in the middle of your problem, in the middle of everything. That changes the way you live, church. Because now you're going to start living with not a care in the world. Because God got it. I told you a couple Sundays ago, my new mantra for 2019 Whenever I get, like, a text that I wasn't expecting or a situation that, that I wasn't wanting or anything that kind of low-key freaks me out, I'm not going to treat it the Shane way anymore. I'm just going to say, God is going to take care of this for me. God is going to take care of this for me. And you know what? It's only four weeks into the year. I've probably said that phrase an average of five times a week so far. For big things and small things. 
And I want to say this to you. God is going to work it out for you. Just worship while you wait. Could you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I'm just going to be real bold and ask you, if this word was for you, and you know if it was, could you just come forward? I want to pray for you this morning. If this word was for you, if this word was for you, people are coming. People are coming. George, could you get the lights down for me? I just want to have, like, this moment with the Lord right now. If this is for you. God is faithful, church. He's never going to change. Circumstances come and circumstances go. God remains the same. So this morning, I'm praying over your life a shift of perspective, not a shift of circumstance. Meaning, it may be, I don't know what this week's going to look like for you. It may be the hardest week you've had in a long time. It may be a really great week. It doesn't matter what kind of week it was. It just matters that God is going to be faithful through it all. Through it all. So I'm going to invite you to pray. And maybe that looks silent for you. That's okay. Maybe you want to lift up your voice. That's all right, too. I just want you to pray, and I want you to tell God exactly what it is that brought you up here to this altar. I want you to tell him the circumstance. I want you to tell him maybe the frustration that you're holding on to this morning. And I just want you, instead of focusing on what you need God to do, I want you to begin talking to him about who he is and say, God, I praise you that you are a faithful God. God, I worship you that you have never left me. You have never abandoned me. You have never forsaken me. And then when you start beginning, when you start saying those words, the Spirit of God is going to begin showing you how faithful he has been. And he's going to start giving you more motivation and more reason to worship. And you're going to begin lifting up an even stronger voice. And you're going to begin saying, thank you, Lord, for your deliverance in this situation and that situation. Thank you, Lord, that, that even though I went through the valley of the shadow of death, you were with me. And I will fear no evil. And then the Spirit of God is going to continue to build up in your soul. And he's going to remind you of, of how good he has been, not only to you, but to your family. And he's going to begin to show you what's coming up ahead. And he's going to remind you, look, I got you in the palm of your hand, in the palm of my hand. I, I, I know that you're frustrated. I know that you're broken. I know that, that maybe you, you're, you're crying yourself to sleep at night, but, but I am with you and I am for you. You are not an orphan. You are my son. You are my daughter. And what starts getting birthed in that moment is worship. And that's when we begin praising God in the middle of, of trial. In the middle of circumstances, we begin to lift up to God a shout of praise. And that is when the enemy must flee. Because if he can keep your eye on your circumstance, then your circumstance will dictate your feelings. But if you can put your eyes back on Jesus, then everything will change. And you will unlock your worship. And the Spirit of God is going to descend on you like never before. God, right now. In the name of Jesus, do it for each person that came to this altar, oh God. Remind them that you are faithful. Remind them that you are good. Remind them that you are for them and not against them. Remind them this morning, Jesus, of your word that, that never returns void. Holy Spirit, we need you. There are so many who are here this morning who are in the midst of transition or in the midst of brokenness or in the midst of, of unknown, God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. All understanding. 
God is faithful. God is faithful. All things are working out for my good. I want you to adopt the same phrase that God gave me for this year. When devastation stares you in the face, when, when anxiety and unrest starts creeping up into your spirit, you begin saying to that issue, God is going to take care of this for me. God is going to take care of this for me. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but God is going to take care of this. Maybe you're sitting in a jail cell, just like Joseph. You begin saying, God is going to take care of this for me. You feel stuck. You feel like no progress is being made. You begin saying that again in faith. God is going to take care of this for me. And I'm telling you, God is faithful, and he will. He will. In his timing, he will. With every hand lifted across this place, we're going to pray and seal what it is the Lord has spoken to each person. God, right now, Lord, you see every person at this altar in their seats, every person who has walked into this place. I believe this word was just like a seed that was planted in hearts, Lord, and I pray that it would grow and that it would cause effect and change in our life. Holy God, I thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are with us and for us, not against us. Father, that we are not orphans, but we are sons and daughters, and we leave here with a confidence that says that even if you slay us, yet will we trust in you, that you are working all things together for our good. I ask this in the name of the one who died so that we could live, Jesus, Jesus, and the whole church said amen. Amen, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Before you leave here this morning, I want you to embrace some people. And I want you to tell them, God is going to work this out for you. God is going to work this out for you. God is going to work it out for you. God bless y'all. I love you so much.